O grace to you and peace from our God and Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, it's so very important for us to worship Jesus Christ, our Savior, and not just some shadow of him. You see, when we worship just a shadow of Jesus, we're not worshiping our true Savior. Rather, we then begin to worship something of our own design. And when we worship something of our own design, we are, in fact, breaking the commandments, aren't we? We are then worshiping, oh, you know, some image from the, the bottom of, of the sea, perhaps, that, you know, inspired terror within us, but yet it seemed powerful. When we worship something of our own design, we break God's commandment. And so we come to understand we must then get to know the real Jesus. We must come to understand the things that Jesus would have us to do if we're going to follow him. We must search the scripture. We must find good and edifying teaching. We must really have a true picture of who Jesus is. And what's so very interesting about our text for today is, is that we see that Jesus is not just a passive individual. Jesus doesn't just kind of you know, sit back and, and let things happen and go, oh well. But rather, our Lord and Savior is a man of action, isn't he? Now, consider our gospel lesson for today. And maybe I'll start with a little bit of background once again. You know, there during Jesus' time, the temple had become kind of a money-making, well, scam in a sense. Now, if you kind of study the, the history of that time, you, you find that, you know, okay, you know, the, the nation of Israel, they were supposed to go to the temple at, at least one time a year, right, for, for many people, because, you know, they, they didn't have their, you know, Ferrari to, you know, drive 100 miles an hour down the road to get to the temple. It meant that they had to maybe shut down their business for up to a, a month that it might take them two weeks to be able to travel up to Jerusalem in order to make the sacrifices at the temple, and then when they made the sacrifices, you know, two more weeks to travel back home again. It was a, a great commitment, if you lived in the outlying areas, to be able to follow this word of God. And then when you arrived at the temple area, suddenly you found that your standard money was no good. You had to exchange your standard money for the special temple money, you see. 
And the money changers at that time were notorious for robbing people, for cheating them. And so, you know, you wouldn't get a, a fair exchange. And now that you had your temple money, you could buy one of the special temple sacrificial animals. You see, you, you couldn't just, you know, bring your, your prize oxen along and sacrifice that at the temple, but no, you had to purchase the special temple animal. And now, of course, being part of, of a, a corrupt system, you know, they, they would kind of, you know, cheat you, right? Because they could just charge, really, whatever they wanted for the, the temple livestock. And so now you, you got cheated when you exchanged your, your money for the temple money, and you got cheated on the special animal that you had to buy for the sacrifice. And well, maybe you have a little bit left over. You, you made a good deal that day. Well, nobody else takes the, the temple money, and so now you have to change the money again back to the common currency. And you got cheated a third time. And so for a lot of people, you know, during Jesus' day and age, you know, this requirement to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice was, you know, just kind of a, a teeth-grinding affair. They said, oh man, I gotta, you know, I gotta close down my business again. And we have to, you know, travel on foot to that place where I'm going to get cheated, and I'm going to get cheated some more, and then they're going to cheat me a little bit again at the end. And then i got to walk two weeks, you know, to get back home again. Worshiping God is so fun, right? Now, you, you kind of begin to imagine. Okay, you know, we're, we're supposed to be able to have a, a wonderful experience worshiping God. It's not supposed to be something where we, you know, we get cheated and we're frustrated, we're angry. And we come to the end of the experience saying, well, this was just silly. Why did I even go through the process? And so Jesus, he, he comes into this kind of environment where, you know, the temple is basically being used as a, a giant scam. And he says to the people, it shouldn't be this way. And furthermore, we read in the text, right, that you know, he actually you know, took physical action. We're told that he made a whip and he was using it right, in the temple, driving out the money changers, driving out the livestock. He's uh, doing it with, with, with strength, with action, you know, with maybe his eyes flashing a little bit. And he's saying, oh, my house shall be a house of prayer. And you folks have turned it into a den of thieves. You see, dear friends, when we form our picture of, of Jesus, you know, so often, especially in our current society, we have this picture of someone that just kind of sits back, you know, and he, he maybe just kind of lets things happen, and he, he just kind of says, oh, well, you know, if you have a little oopsie, you know, that's okay. And we never really see this side of Jesus portrayed in sermons anymore, do we? 
Or he fashions a whip of cords and he drives sinners out of the temple. He says, you folks have been doing it wrong. You folks are are cheating one another. You folks are creating a, a terrible environment for people to come to God. I want you gone. Right, he said in a sense, didn't he? And he's willing to use his whip a little bit to do it, to carry out the cleansing of his temple. See, God hopes that we will worship him in holiness and in purity. God's desire is not that we would just kind of let things go and, and you know, just kind of, you know, let, let the flow take us where it will, but rather that we would stand upon his word once again. And that maybe is one of the reasons that we became members of the, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, wasn't it? And, and maybe you haven't you know, researched all of our history and, and maybe you haven't gone in, into great detail, but you might recall back in the, the 1960s, you know, things were becoming you know, pretty fluid, let's say. Pretty, yeah, wishy-washy, in a sense, right? And so many of our national schools were teaching evolution and so many of the churches at the time were just kind of going along with that and they're saying, oh, well, hey, yeah, maybe God used billions and billions of years to create stuff over time. And, and, and maybe really the, the process was that, that there was death before sin and God was just wrong about that. And, and, and maybe as theologians, we're, we're not experts and, and we can't know. And, and so we would throw our hands out of in the air and go, oh, my. And, and yes, you know, to, to be truthful, it began to happen within our own seminaries, within our own parochial school systems. But the president of our, our synod at that time, he stood up and he said, no, it shall not be this way. And he, he removed about two-thirds of the professors from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And oh, of course, you know, you can imagine just as in our current day, there, there were people with tears in their eyes and they said, oh, you know, Professor Fred, he, he taught me so much and he inspired me and I can't believe you're firing Professor Fred, my favorite professor. And they put little crosses out in the lawn to represent each professor that had been fired and they said, oh, this is so terrible, you're infringing on our writes and it's so sad. And yet, dear friends, our Missouri Senate stood strong during those years. And, and they, they called in pastors from a, a, around the world even. Um, you know, one of the, the preeminent um, professors that, that I even had at my time, he, he was recalled from England to be able to come back and teach at the seminary as a young man. And dear friends, you know, that is where we uh, come from. We come from a synod that said the word of God is the standard. 
We're not going to tolerate having professors in our midst that you know, teach things differently from the Word of God. Now, if you, you look around at other denominations today and you see that they're, they're not as, as strong, right? It's fair to say. They're, they're not standing true. Right? They're, they're waffling here and there. It's because during the 1960s, they didn't take that action. In the 1960s, they, they said, oh my, we, we don't know what to do for sure. In the 1960s, some of them even were mocking us, weren't they? If you remember back to that time, that all of the Missouri Senate is so strict. Oh. I don't even know if the Missouri Senate knows about the love of Jesus. Oh. And indeed, we then began to have the reputation as the strict church, right? You know, and I, where I, I, I was before in the, the middle of, of North Dakota, right in our, our little community there, where, you know, we had a, a Methodist church and a, a Roman Catholic church, and, and we had our church, and we were the strict church. Now, those Missouri Synod Lutherans, those are the, the, the strict people. But it's because we want to have that real picture of Jesus. We want to be able to serve the real Christ. Not, not just, you know, some Jesus that says, oh, you know, whatever you want to believe, and oh, everything will be okay somehow, and, and you know, certainly would never bring a whip into the, the worship service and chase out sinful people that are cheating others, certainly that would never happen. But no, we serve a Christ that loves people so much, he's not going to let lies creep in, you see. We serve a Lord that loves people so much that his teaching is always going to be the same. We serve a, a God that we want to get things right with. We need to have it right. We need to have the truth. We need to have the real picture of Jesus. He's upset when sin happens. Sin is a big deal. Because, dear friends, when we begin to follow this other path, we understand already where it leads to, don't we? You see, if, if sin is not really that big of a deal, if I don't really need to cleanse myself from it, if I don't really need to, to repent of sin, it, it doesn't really matter all that much, then why would I need a Savior? Right? If it's just a matter of choice, you know, if we can just kind of let people do whatever it is that, that, that kind of pleases them, why do I need a Savior? If it's not that big a deal that God created them male and female, why do I need 
a Savior. And the answer for the, the world today is uh, you don't. The answer for the world today is uh, everything is okay. Everything is permissible. Everything you do is just kind of a matter of, of what you want. And, and if you want to go and do the, this one thing that the Bible says is a, a sin, we as a society are going to say, oh, that's fine. If you want to go do this other thing the Bible says is a sin, we're going to say, oh, that's okay too. And if you want to go do this thing that, you know, used to be you know, really, really bad just 20 or 30 years ago, we're going to say, well, if you don't complain about my sin, I won't complain about the thing you're doing. And it's all just okay. And again, the question comes back, doesn't it? You know, if that really is the case, why do I need a Savior? I, I, I don't even need Jesus anymore, right? Because everything is just fine and it's all okay. And so why, why come to church? Well, you know, a lot of denominations today are kind of discovering if that's what they're teaching. You know, you don't really need Jesus and it's all going to be okay. There's not real reason to come to church on Sunday, is there? You know, I don't really need it. But you see, uh, dear friends, especially coming up within our Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, we have always understood sin is a big deal. Sin, in fact, can separate us from God. If we continue down the path of sin, we can be destroyed, the Bible says. If we keep on doing sinful things, we keep growing further from our Lord. Right? The separation grows more and more. We uh, fall into greater and greater sin. And the answer is we need Jesus. We need a Savior. And so often in society today, people turn a blind eye or they even kind of wink at sin a little bit, you know. Oh, well, you know, it's no big deal or oh, it happens or Oh, it's just the way that the, the world works these days. The, the, those funny old timers, they, they just don't get it. They're not living in the modern age. Right? But we need a Savior. And what it always comes back to is the, the very fact that the, the sins that, you know, that we have committed the blackness that, that we have come to bring upon ourselves, that sin, in fact, separates us from God. That sin, in fact, required that spikes be driven through the hands and the feet of our Lord. That our sin was such a big deal that Jesus Christ had to be crucified upon a cross for it to be taken care of. 
You see, dear friends, that is the reality. If Jesus isn't a person that would come into the temple with a whip and drive out money changers in order to cleanse things, then sin doesn't really matter that much. But if sin really does matter, and it matters so much, Jesus had to die for it, then we know our true Savior, don't we? Someone who didn't wink at sin. Someone who didn't just throw his hands up in the air. Someone that didn't just say, oh well, I guess that stuff happens today. But rather, he acted. He cleansed his temple, but even more so, he saved us. He stretched out his arms and he died so our sin could be forgiven because sin really does matter and the cost is tremendous and we ignore that at our own peril. You see, Jesus loved us so much. Knowing the condition that we were in, knowing the things that we had to face, knowing that it was even desperate at times, as you know, people couldn't even get to the, the one temple where they were supposed to worship without frustration and anger and, and you know, feeling just yucky about it. Jesus came into that situation and he restored our hope. He offered us a new future. He prepared the way so that we could enter heaven once again. And he did it all because of his great love for us. See, Jesus loves you that much. Our sin matters. And Jesus' death upon the cross paid the price. He paid for it all because of his love for you. Amen. And may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in your hearts and minds now and always. Amen.